0: If you have a Bible open it up to Psalm 106, Psalm 106 today and it will be on page 505. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in those uh, under the chair racks there. One of those black Bibles will be page 505 in those Bibles. Psalm 106 we're continuing our collide series emotion meets truth in the Psalms and what we've been learning is how we can be uh, absolutely emotionally authentic with God, but also uh, we have this hope of absolute truth, right, of an anchor point in God's Word. And so those two things come together. It's not one or the other in our faith, but it's really both together. And we see that worked out really well in the Psalms. Uh, today's also Mother's Day. I don't know if y'all realize that. Anybody realize it's Mother's Day today? So happy Mother's Day. Um, as we look at Psalm 106, Psalm 106 is one of these histories of the people of Israel. And uh, the people of Israel were rebellious children. So that makes for a great Mother's Day sermon, right? Um, rebellious children. Uh, we do want to acknowledge, as as Paige said earlier during, during the announcements, that Mother's Day is a hard day for a lot of folks. I know some of you, this is a grieving day. It, it might remind you of a loss uh, for those of you that have lost a child or, or lost a mom or maybe had a difficult relationship with your mom or with your child. So we acknowledge that. And I want you to know we've been praying for you. Our heart uh, is with you. Uh, we grieve with you. Um, we also want to celebrate this beautiful thing that God invented. This this crazy idea that God came up with of mothers. We celebrate mothers. And what I want to do as we look through the text today is make application to moms, but kind of use moms as like a symbol of what love should be like, right? So we're going to kind of use mothers as a symbol of what love should be like. And so those of you that aren't mothers, I just want to tell you, you you don't get to shut your brain off while we're talking this morning, uh, because what we're going to do is use them as as an example that we should all follow. We, we should all love each other well. We want to learn how to do that. And we're going to see an example in God as this God who gathers a people to Himself. So Jesus said it like this. like He longed to gather uh, God's people to Himself like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And so we see that, that motherly love in God, even though God reveals Himself as Father. We also see this motherly, tender love in God. And so we're going to see an example of how God loves us And we're going to apply that to how mothers should love their kids, but also how all of us should love, how all of us should love each other. Also, want to remind you, ladies, if you didn't get a flower, we're we're just celebrating all of you today, whether you're a mother or not, we want to celebrate you. And so there's a flower for all of you. If you didn't get one, make sure you grab one today. We want all the women today to get a flower. Um, So those should be in the hallway if you didn't get one already. So we'll read from Psalm 106. Try to see what we can learn here. It's uh, it's about a million verses. We're going to start with a few at the beginning. I'm going to skip and read some uh, at the end, and we'll kind of fill in the blanks for you along the way. starts off, Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all His praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when You show favor to Your people. Help me when You save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of Your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of Your nation but I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. And then I want to skip down uh, to the end of this chapter. On My Bible it's on the next page. We'll look at verse 43. In verse 43, he says, after recounting many of their Rebellions throughout the history of God's people. Verse 43 picks up and says, "...many times He, God, delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake He remembered His covenant and relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations." that we may give thanks to Your holy name and glory in Your praise. That's where I get the title for the sermon today, The God Who Gathers, just like a mother hen gathers her chicks. We have a God who longs to gather us to Himself. We have a God who shows grace, who shows steadfast love to His people. So that's what we celebrate today. I'm going to pray for us and ask God to teach us this morning. God, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You've revealed that love uh, in beautiful ways, like the, the love that a mother has for her children. And we pray that You would teach us to be a a people that trusts in Your love for us and then also loves uh, others well. We thank You for Your Word. Uh, We ask You to guide us. We ask You to teach us. We ask for special comfort today for those who grieve, for those that this is a very hard day. Um, We thank You that You're a God of hope, though, and we look forward to a day when all pains will be fixed and all things will be made right. We thank You, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've spoken before, I, I told the story a while back about the time that I was left in the nursery at the church. Do you all remember that? Anybody Was anybody here for that story? You remember that. Um, my my family loved me very much, really. They really loved me. But yet they forgot me at the nursery one time, right? Um, and I I would just argue that probably in all of our lives, something like that has happened. Even those of us that have had the best parents that loved us dearly, there were times when they forgot us or forgot something that we needed. Has that that ever happened to you, some of you? It's okay to raise your hands. Moms will admit, sometimes, right? Sometimes moms make mistakes, right? That happens sometimes. Rarely, but sometimes that happens. And you've probably done that to other people, right? There are people in your life that you love dearly. You love dearly, but yet you... You, you forget or you do something stupid or even something malicious and and you fail in some way to love as, as you desire to love. God talks about that kind of picture of love in Isaiah chapter 49. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? That's so a rhetorical question. It's like a mom could never forget her child, right? It's kind of uh, it's kind of this parable. It's kind of like this metaphor in our society of, of the greatest love there is, is a love that a mother would have for her child, right? You've heard the phrase, uh, the face that only a mother could love. Have y'all heard that phrase before? Right? It's, it's like, it's this relentless, irrational love that mothers have for their children. And so that's the, that's the proverb here that's being picked up in Isaiah 45 or 49. I'll say it again. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And the answer is probably not. A mother wouldn't do a thing like that. And then the answer that the text gives is even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God says, you know what? The greatest earthly love we know, maybe, maybe for argument's sake we'll say the greatest earthly love we know is a mother's love for her children. Yet that, that, that love still fails sometimes. That love still falls short sometimes. And God says, my love's like that, but it's better. My love is like that, but I'll never forget. All of us have failed to love someone that we loved. We've, we've all failed in some way, but God's love never fails, and that's the promise that we have in the Gospel. So again, I'll remind you of this picture that Jesus gives us at the end of Matthew. He's coming to a rebellious people, the city of Jerusalem, and He's saying, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks to Myself. And Jesus says "But you are not willing. God has this gracious love towards us and we're rebellious children. So we have a a picture in Scripture that God loves us relentlessly. And that becomes a picture for us in how to love others. So what I'm going to do as we move through the text is I want to make application for how mothers should love. What what should it look like? How should a mother love her kids? And then I'm going to say, moms are going to be our examples. I'm not a mother. They're going to be our examples of how we should love as well. Okay? You following me? This morning we're going to see this in Psalm 106. God is this God that loves us relentlessly. That gives us a picture of what a mother's love should be like and that gives everybody else a picture of what their love should be like for others. The first thing that we're going to see in the text is that mothers need dreams. So as we look at this God who is a gracious God, who is a loving God, a God who gathers us to Himself, we see in the first few verses uh, this impulse to hope, this impulse to dream. And so that's an example to... To think positively, we might even say. A mother has this irrational, relentless love. A mother should dream. Look at verse 1 and 106. Praise the Lord. Literally, that phrase in Hebrew is hallelujah. Have you all ever sung that in a song? Hallelujah? You've heard that before, right? Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard the term hallelujah. That's just the Hebrew words praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. So when you sing that in a song, you're singing in Hebrew. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Then he says, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. So this is fixing our hearts as we sing or as we pray this psalm, fixing our hearts that God's love never stops. It's relentless. It goes forever. Remember, we've looked at this word steadfast love. It's, it's the Hebrew hased, which is most often used to, to kind of connote the idea of God's grace, God's uh, unconditional love, His covenant love, often translated in this translation as steadfast love. So his steadfast love endures forever. We can count on it, right? So in Isaiah 49 it said, "A mother's always awesome at loving. Mother's always love, but even if they don't, we know that God will." And that's what's being reaffirmed here, verse three, or verse two. Excuse me. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? This is a rhetorical question here. Uh, Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators, says the answer is no one. So so let's look at it again. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all His praise? Kittner would say, no one. No one really can. We attempt to. We approximate uttering how great He is. We try to, in some small way, as creatures, as finite people, as limited people, try to say how great God is, but none of us can really do it justice. And that's what the psalmist is getting to here. And then he says in verse 3, Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. So there's... There's joy and hope in in doing what's right and following God. Verse 4, remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. So he's talking here about this future of salvation. He's saying, God, uh, save me, remember me when you save your people. I'm looking forward to the salvation of your people. Remember me in that process. I want to uh, remind you of context here. We've been talking about how the Psalms have five sections. And so we are now with Psalm 106 ending section 4. So if you remember section 3 was the middle section where it looked like the bad guys were winning, right? Where Israel had sinned, all this rebellion that's in the middle of this chapter. Israel had done all this bad stuff. They'd been thrown into exile. They were wondering, has God forgotten us forever? Looks like the bad guys are winning. And then Psalm, uh, or section four of the psalms, all the psalms we've been in the last few weeks, are a focus on, you know what? We, we see that God's going to save us. God's going to pull us out of this. We, we have hope that God is a saving God. We have hope that God's a gathering God that will gather us back to Himself even though we've been scattered in our sin. He's going to pull us back to Himself in His grace, in His forgiveness. And that's what we see the psalmist talking about here. He's saying, God, I know You're going to save Your people remember me when you do that and so he's hoping he's he's dreaming in that future we as christians look forward to god fixing everything but we look forward to a future where there's not going to be any more disease where there's not going to be any more hurt or pain or broken relationships or rebellion or sin that's the future we look forward to and so i believe to love people well we have to we have to dream and it, this reminds me of mothers mothers love well mothers dream. Others can look on the positive side, sometimes, as I said before, in a a relentless, almost irrational sense. I have a picture here of a rainbow. Rainbows are are symbols of hope, right? Rainbows are symbols of hope. They come from Genesis. God says that the rainbow is his promise that he's not going to judge the world uh, by a flood again the way that he did in the early chapters of Genesis. Uh, And so a rainbow is supposed to be this symbol of like a bow and arrow. That's Linguistically, that's where the word comes from. It's a bow, and the bow is pointing up instead of pointing down. So the symbol is God taking judgment on himself instead of us taking judgment again as we did during the flood. Now now we see that even more clearly portrayed in the cross. In the cross, we see that God took judgment upon himself. That's the story, the central story of what makes Christianity Christianity. That God came down and took on flesh, became one of us, lived a perfect life that we should have lived, he was the Adam that Adam and Eve should have been. He was the Israelite that Israel should have been. He lived perfectly and yet died the sacrificial death. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. He absorbed the punishment that we should have taken. So the cross is this, the same picture as the rainbow. It's this dream of judgment that accomplishes salvation, salvation and hope. And so the rainbow and the cross reminds us to dream It reminds us to hope, to hope for better things. There is going to be a future where all things are made right. There's going to be a future of salvation. And so I see a a practice and a discipline here in the psalm that we should practice that helps us to love others well, a practice of dreaming, a practice of leading our emotions in a positive direction. So think back to kind of the picture we've seen throughout the psalms is this honest emotion and absolute truth, right? We've talked about how those things collide together in the psalms, and we've talked a lot about how we can be honest in our pain. We can lament before God. We can grieve before God. We can cry out to God. But we also see a discipline, not just of that kind of emotional honesty, but also of leading our emotions positively. Leading our emotions positively. Saying, you know what? I am grieving. I am brokenhearted. Life has fallen apart for me. But I'm hoping this future salvation that God promised I'm looking forward to God fixing things. And so Christians are people who both grieve but also celebrate. Christians are people who, who recognize realistically the world is broken, but we also look forward to, but God is fixing things. God is making things right. And so to love people well, but for any of us to love well, for mothers to love well, we have to be a people who dream, who, who hope in this God that sets things right. He's fixing the whole world. He's not only taking care of the the gap in my relationship with God through the cross, but he's fixing the whole universe. Romans 8 says that uh, the whole creation is groaning and longing for the sons of God to be revealed because all of re- creation is going to be fixed in that final moment where he ties everything up, where he makes all things fit back together the way they're supposed to be. So so the first application from this section is that we should dream, we should hope, we should lead our emotions positively. So pray, Sing, worship, read scripture, and, and do things that walk you through the positive hope, the positive dreams of salvation and health and life that we have. Count your blessings. right? The old-fashioned phrase, count your blessings. That, that's a good discipline. That doesn't mean we don't have to be or we can't be honest about our pain. right? We can still be honest in our grieving and our lamenting, but also a discipline of the Christian life is to count our blessings, to, to focus and give thanksgiving to God for his uh, positive blessings. The other thing I want to show you is that this, this uh, works itself out in your prayer life. There's two ways that we go wrong with prayer. And I take this from one of my favorite books, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I can't recommend this book enough. I, I think I recommend it like every two or three months to you guys. So if you haven't bought it yet, buy this book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And he talks about two ways we go wrong. Two ways we go wrong having to do with our dreams. I, I think as we approach God, we need to dream of good things but simultaneously surrender our will to God. I think that's the pattern. So we're dreaming and hoping of good things and we're surrendering our our will saying, but God, your will be done. We see that model um, with Jesus praying in the garden. Jesus says, if there's any other way, let this cup uh, pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. So we see honest wrestling in prayer. They're modeled by Jesus. We should pray that way as well. And what Miller says is there's kind of two ways we go wrong. One way is we... We dream, but we think it's all up to us. So our dreams are going to be accomplished by our own will. That's not really prayer. The other way we go wrong is we give up dreaming completely. We despair. And so we've got demanding because we have dreams that we think will fulfill or despair where we give up on dreams completely. And he says says these are the two common ways that we kind of fall off one side or the other of not having a healthy prayer life where we, we dream and hope for God's Goodness in our life, but we also are simultaneously surrendering our will to Him. So work that into your prayer life. Continue to dream. Continue to dream. Continue to recognize that God is a God who's making all things right. God is a God who loves us, who is fixing the world, and He starts with us. And so personally, that starts with recognizing our, our own sin, our own need for rehabilitation, transformation, forgiveness, and he's going to use that to fix the whole world. So that brings us to the next section. Mothers, and all of us, need confession. I know this is almost heretical on Mother's Day to say that mothers sometimes sin and need confession, uh, so I just want to recognize that I, I would still argue that mothers are, are better than other people generally, but sometimes mothers sin, okay? Are you with me? Sometimes mothers sin. It happens sometimes. Mothers sin. Mothers need confession, just like all of us. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All people, all people, no matter who you are, no matter what your role in the world, we all are sinners that need a Savior. And as a mom, one of the best ways you can love your kids well is to admit that. Be real about that, right? Don't give up in the fight against sin, but confess your sin and trust in Jesus to forgive you and confess your sin to your kids as well. Don't hide it, but be real about that. Well, we see here in the text that Israel and the psalmist, they're recognizing that they've sinned. That they've messed up. Look at verse 6 in Psalm 106. He says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. That's another word for sin. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe. So he says, we've sinned. God saved us anyway. God saved us because he's gracious. Not because we were so awesome, but we've sinned. And then the, almost, the vast majority of this text now, going through the rest of Psalm 106, is him recounting how often God's people sinned. God's rebellious children. How much they sinned. How much they wandered. But again, the thesis is God is this forgiving God that gathers us back to himself. And so we can learn how to love as we see God loving us by his grace. But it starts with confession. Uh, Christianity 101 is recognizing that we are not God's people by virtue of our own accomplishment. We are God's people because of his grace and forgiveness. And that is a very important thing that I know some of you, if you've been here long, probably get tired of me saying these kinds of things. But, but that's something we so easily forget. We so easily forget, even though we believed it at one time, we might slide back into thinking now it's because of what we've done or what we've accomplished. But we see repeatedly throughout Scripture that God's people are God's people not because they've always done right, but because God is this gathering, loving, gracious God. So we're sinners. We confess we're sinners, yet God loves us. I'm not going to read all of the sin. I would encourage you, it's it's a little depressing, but I encourage you to read through the rest of Psalm 106 and see the ways that God's people have rebelled. And recognize this is one of these summaries of the whole Bible. There's, there's other places like this. Psalm 78, Jim Wilson preached for us a few weeks ago. Acts chapter 7 is another summary of the whole Bible. What's interesting, when you read these summaries of the whole Bible, it's a lot of sin. It's a lot of sin. And And if if you grew up with Sunday school teachers that told you to always imitate the Bible characters, just understand that that that's not really what we should do. Um, The Bible characters were mostly bad, and we're not supposed to imitate them, right? We might imitate their faith, trusting in God's forgiveness, but we're not to imitate all the things that they did. And that's an important thing to remember. When we see these summaries of the whole Bible, like Psalm 78, Psalm 106 here today, Acts chapter 7, a lot of other places, it's a lot of sin. It's a lot of rebellion. So being God's people is not that we do everything right. It's it's trusting in His forgiveness, trusting in His grace. So let's pick up uh, down in verse 34. He starts talking about where where some of this went wrong. In verse 34, he says they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. Now there's a whole there's a whole problem here that a lot of us as modern skeptics have. I, I want to assure you that I've I've wrestled with this myself. This is a hard thing. You know, when you look at Old Testament history and God commanding His people to destroy other people groups, I just want to recognize that is hard for us to deal with as modern people. I'd love to talk to you about that another time. I don't think that's the main idea of today's text, so we're not going to spend our time defending that. But I just want to recognize that's a that's a difficulty, right? That's a hiccup for us as modern people. But let's just kind of take that where it is and and move forward this morning. Call me, email me if you want to talk more about this. It says in verse 35, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. The idea was these were uh, incredibly wicked people groups, tribes doing horrendous things, practicing horrendous sin, incredibly offensive stuff that God had his people and said, I want you to judge them. I want you to, through war, destroy these other people groups that are doing horrible things. And instead, they they didn't, and they started doing the horrible things that they were doing. That's basically the story. So in verse 36, it says this, "...they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He abhorred His heritage." He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their power. So we have this picture of coming under subjection. That, that means the other ones ruled them, right? They had become their slaves. They came under the power, the dominion, the subjection of other people groups as well as to sin itself. And so here we have a picture that sin leads to Slavery. That's a repeated uh, curse, warning, promise, whatever you want to call it throughout Scripture. Repeatedly we're told that sin leads to slavery. We think we're going to find uh, freedom as we pursue money and sex and power. And, and whatever gods of this age were promised will, will buy us life and freedom. But what God tells us again and again is that those things actually ensnare us. He used the word earlier, they became a snare you're you're shackled by these things. I have a picture here of uh, children that are making bricks. These are slaves in India. I don't know if you knew this, but slavery still exists in the world today. One of the ministries that I support personally is the International Justice Mission, which is a Christian mission that takes uh, lawyers and investigators and former policemen and detectives and they go into these places where slavery exists and they document the abuses and they use whatever means they can to work with the local magistrates and judges to set these children and people free. And so slavery still exists. We may have defeated technical and legal slavery in in this culture, but it still exists all over the world. Um, And so Christians, you might see other ministries as well, like the International Justice Mission, where Christians are working against sex trafficking or slavery like kids that are making bricks for 18 hours a day as slaves in a factory. There's all kinds of Slavery that still exists. I use that really as just an illustration, though. Something that offends us in the literal world as just an illustration of the kind of slavery we subject ourselves to when we pursue sin. When we pursue sin, we're we're promised uh, that we're going to be enslaved to that sin. That what we think is going to buy us freedom is actually going to make life more difficult to us. And it really comes to a climax here when he talks about the sacrifice of their children. It says in verse 37, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. We we believe that we're a much more sophisticated people than that, that child sacrifice doesn't occur, but but 55 million children have been aborted uh, in the last 40 years. The year I was born... Abortion became legal. So, forty-one years, um, forty-one years of abortion in our country. And so, uh, we destroy our children in pursuit, often of convenience, power, money, sex, pleasure. We're pursuing these other gods, sacrificing our children along the way. I would encourage you that if you're considering abortion, that that we would encourage you to go to Hope Pregnancy Center. It's a ministry that we support. That what we do through Hope Pregnancy Center is actually come alongside people considering abortion and give them real help uh, to either keep that child or put that child up for adoption. We, we should be a culture as people that reflect God's love for us. So, so we need to start by confessing that we're a people that don't love children very well so that we can get to a point of being the kind of community that loves children well. That's why historically the Christian church for the last 2,000 years have been the people Uh, that adopt orphans and start hospitals and start schools and care for children. That's just been a mark historically of what Christianity is. I don't care what your professor told you about Christianity causing every war in history. um, He's wrong. (laughs) Christianity historically has been the religion of orphanages, hospitals, and schools. So Christians are moved by this God who loves us and wants to gather us to Himself. We're moved to want to do that as well. We're moved to want to show that love for the the least of these. We're moved to reflect that love to others. So we start with confession. We start with recognizing we haven't loved the least of these well. And we come to a place of forgiveness, recognizing that God's a forgiving God that loves us, that uh, poured out His grace to us in Jesus, that proved His love by taking judgment upon Jesus and giving us Jesus' righteousness. And so when we find that forgiveness, we see God. Our minds change about God. We have a different posture towards God. Our heart has been melted now seeing that God loves us. God is this God who truly loves us and that transforms us and enables us then to love others well. And that's where we come to the end here. Mothers need gathering. Again, mothers is a symbol for all of us. Mothers need gathering. They need to recognize that God is the God that gathers us to Himself. All of us need that. All of us need to come to that place of recognizing that the God of the universe is the God that pursues us in love to gather us to Himself. Look at verse 43. Many times He delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake, He remembered His covenant and relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. So He's talking here about the incredible, relentless love of this God who would gather us to Himself. He remembered His covenant. He has this steadfast love for us. He keeps pursuing us. I joked before, mothers have this irrational love, right? It doesn't make sense. You've been kicked. You've been screamed at. You've been thrown up on. And you continue to love your children, right? Or at least most of, most of you do. It's this relentless love. We, talk about, we joke about the phrase, the, the, the face that only a mother can love. And what we see in the Scriptures is that God has a love like that for us. Even more so. It's said in Isaiah 49, uh, earthly mothers still mess up. Earthly mothers still fail, but God never does. God never does and He pursues us and He gathers us to Himself. And so He goes on and says, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to Your holy name and glory and Your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. It starts with praise the Lord. It ends with praise the Lord. And the picture is a God who gathers us to himself even though we're rebellious, even though we wander, even though we go the other direction. Any of you have kids or maybe you remember this from your own childhood where you you had these stuffed animals that you wanted to kind of take care of. Maybe you'd have tea parties with them. Maybe you'd You'd gather them around at bedtime. Anybody, you, you see that happen? Maybe you didn't do that, but you, you've seen that in other cases, right? Um, I remember my kids like would, would gather their stuffed animals or their babies and they'd have them on the couch to watch a movie with them or they'd have to gather them all you know, to get snuggled in for bed at night. I have a picture here of a little girl holding one of her stuffed animals and you can just see the sparkle in her eye. She's so happy to have her little her little baby, right? And you see this impulse of of this gathering love, this, this gathering of little ones to yourself. And again, that's the picture we see of, of world history in the Bible. That the God of the universe is this God that loves to gather us to Himself. He's this God that loves us. We're His babies and He loves us despite the fact that we've rebelled. Despite the fact that we've gone the other direction. He still remembers His covenant. He still pursues us in steadfast, never-ending, unconditional Love. He gathers us to Himself. And we, when we remember that, when we see God in that way, again, that changes how we see the world. First, it changes our posture before God. It melts our heart and makes us recognize He really loves us even though we don't deserve it and we begin to love Him. We begin to worship Him. We begin to have awe and wonder at His great love for us. And that also melts our heart towards others. Because we recognize with other people Other people may not deserve my love, but I'm going to love like God loved me. God gathered me to Himself even when I was rebellious and undeserving of His love, and so now I'm going to love others in that same way. So again, that that picture culturally that we see of a mother's incredible, irrational, unconditional love, that's the same kind of love we should all have for each other. That's ultimately the kind of love that God has for us. Isaiah 54 is another great chapter that pictures this love, and I'm just going to conclude by reading this. It's a it's a picture in Isaiah 54 and 55 and 56 that promises the new covenant that's going to be fulfilled through Jesus. And it talks about even though God's people were in rebellion during the time of Isaiah, and even though they had rebelled against God and they'd been judged, God was going to love them in this supernatural way in the future. So that even those who didn't have any children could still have supernatural children. And so the picture is, is one of supernatural birth, of spiritual birth. It says, women who are barren and men who are impotent will be fruitful in the kingdom. We can make disciples. We can uh, give birth spiritually by loving others. We can show others that they belong to God. We can gather others to God just as God gathered us to Himself. So Isaiah 54 says it this way, Sing, O barren woman who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you'll spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities." says in verse 7, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. You hear that? That's the promise of God to us. It's fulfilled through Jesus. It's fulfilled in the new covenant of Christ. He says, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. That's the promise of the Gospel. That the God we serve is a God who gathers us in grace to himself so that we can gather others to himself along Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you prove that love through Jesus. We thank you of the many pictures of that love you've given us, Uh, the beautiful picture of a mother's love for her children. And we come to you recognizing that all of us have failed to love in the ways that you've made us to, but we trust that you are the one that does it perfectly. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for gathering us to Yourself. Help us to be a part of what You're doing in the world, gathering others to Yourself as well. We pray that You would remake us. In Jesus' name, Amen.